Welcome to The Train Rush, your absent friend of all things train gaming, brought to you by Craig Taylor and Dave Moss. Today, we are going to be covering New Ground. Specifically, it's a first impressions episode. Myself and Dave have played the same title. We're going to go into what it is in a second. I, I like the tease there. That's, that's good. And uh, we've played it independently of each other. I've got an inkling that we're coming at this from slightly different angles. I've got an inkling that maybe there'll be some disagreement. But on the whole, we should be able to round it out by the end of the episode. It'll make for an exciting episode. Let's find out what happens. So, Dave, introduce our guest. I, I get the big reveal. So, today we're going to be talking about 18 Lilliput. It's a new game, a 2018 release, just come out of Essen from Fox in the Box, uh, designed by, by Lonnie, Lonnie Augler, uh, who's done a number of other 18XXs, 1880 and 18CZ, primarily being, I think, the most popular titles. But uh, yeah, he's a well-established publisher. I think he's also uh, did Russian Railroads and First Class. But this is uh, a small box card game. Uh, generally, it retails for about 25 British pounds and, and whatever that is in euros and US dollars. It's it's an attempt at putting 18XX into a card game and into a box. And I think it was up on Kickstarter. Both of us thought at that point in time it was a really interesting thing and we were keen to back it. So... Um, when Craig was in Essen, you managed to pick up our copies and, and we brought them back and had a couple of goes, as you said earlier, separately of each other. Our copies and about 20 other people's copies as well, Dave. But y- You did seem to be running a bit of a retail empire there and just loading your car up with Lonnie's goods of Lilliput and CZ, really, wasn't it? Yeah, that's life my shock absorbers will never see again, but <laughs> enough about me. So I just want to quickly circle back. Just to be clear, there's not going to be any hugely deep analysis in this. Neither myself or Dave are savants or idiot savants. We haven't played it enough to be able to call this a deep dive. We might just be idiots, I think, really. Sure. However, my reaction was certainly strong enough to make me want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we since we played both played it, we both said we should we should sit down and talk about that and let the good people of the podcast world listen to what we've got to say. The steamheads, Dave. We've branded them already. The Sorry, steamheads. yes, steamheads. I need to get on message. Make sure you say the Z as well. You have to say it out loud. <laughs> steamheads. Right, so shall we talk just quickly about how it works? I think, you know, it's fairly similar. So if you played an 18xx before... It's going to seem pretty similar. At the start of the game, you have a round where you're selecting actions that you do, and, and those actions are abstracted from the things you normally do in an 18xx game. So they're things like buying shares, buying trains, laying track, upgrading track. And then once you've done that for all of the companies in the game, and they operate in share order, then you have a, a run trains round, generate the revenue, and obviously decide whether to withhold or, or dividend. Dave, I'm going to disagree with you there. Let's take a step back. Let's take a step back to how we set up the game. So we set up the game with a pseudo-auction where we have a snake draft to pick an ID and a starting company with a special power. Yes, you've got you've got characters that give you a lasting benefit and some free tiles. Yeah, I would argue that's a private auctions analogue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Certainly the, the, the characters, the, the uh, good folk of the Lilliputton land are your privates in effect. Yeah, and then the other thing I would say that's different is the primary way the actions driven the interface if you will i don't want to overuse the word action because it's an action selection game in part each player gets to select two actions yes so it's not on a per company basis it's a big structural difference between this and 18xx and, and, and that the kind of person... i will touch that point later i think oh, in terms okay of that, okay but... i was a little bit confused when you said about each company because the company stuff all rolls up yes sorry the, the player operates and the player may operate for either his, company either company indeed then you, you run your trains and, uh, and you do your dividends as you normally would do in an 18xx and then there's a little bit of housekeeping at the end of the round and off you go you do that eight times and the game's over so you'd kind of think i think from the box this would be a fairly quick play and if four 
experienced 18xxers sat down they should be able to kind of push through these things pretty quickly i'd say so yeah i don't think that's unfair the one sentence description of it for me is 18xx scoring with an action selection game strapped on the front and i know that sounds kind of dismissive but that's where it is, right? You've got 18xx tile lane, you've got 18xx revenue, you've got shares that ostensibly move. But the interface for you doing things, rather than being a set procedure and you operate on a company-by-company basis, we rip all that away and we put on front, a player picks two actions, do what you want. Yeah, and I think I think let, let, let's dwell on that to, to start with. So I think the, the way you do it is there's a set of cards that are available to choose from. You choose one of the cards that are available on your go. The card has two actions on, as we said earlier, which are the familiar things you're used to doing. Uh, you choose one of those two actions and do it. And that'll go around the table twice. Everyone gets two goes at it. And uh, that's the end of a round. There's a thing here, though, we have to explicit in. If you pick an action, you block that action selection from anyone else. For another player. It's, it's one of the points of interaction. I know you have a wild card you can play, Dave. So Indeed. Talk to the wild card. Yes, so you have a you have a one one off use copy card that you can discard. It's worth some money at the end if you don't use it. But ultimately, I think we found certainly in the plays I had, not the plays we've had, that most players didn't use it. They thought there was value, but actually kicked themselves at the end of the game for not using it. There was times when actions were blocked and they should have used it. I used my turn one, so I did it. And I tell you why. I had uh, the dude who gave you a revenue tile that had massive revenue at the start of the game, but very little revenue later. Yeah, game. the single station one that drops in value, but still ends up at the same value as a brown tile, but it's amazing as a yellow tile. Indeed, and I also, the company I had coupled him with was the company that started with a home station that was a white tile. Okay, now I figured that the 20 Lilliputnium pounds, or whatever it is, we'll just call them dollars from now on. Space bucks. Space bucks, that's better. 20 space bucks was not worth keeping versus the opportunity cost of putting that revenue in because I'd be, I was blocked on the action that let me lay the tiles in a way that honoured the checkerboard rule. So, other feature of this game, there's no board. This game, you lay cards and you can lay them how you like as long as you honour this restriction. Cities cannot be orthogonally adjacent to other cities. Yeah, you must have a track segment that is non-city based between two cities. Yep, there you go. Well done. That's the restriction. Yeah. Um, and it seems sensible, you know, it stops stops blocked out. I mean, I think, you know, stations are few and far between. The track gets pretty congested pretty quickly in the game. But I think, you know, uh, sorry, do, do we want to kind of go on to thoughts about action selection or are we going further forwards on? No, no, no. I just wanted to mention it was the context for why I chose to use cash in my card in the action selection. So, well, we'll it's, it's just context for that. Let's keep going on action selection. We'll talk about the map laying as its own thing. So I think my, my view on it is it's an interesting take. It's, it's, a, it's a massive abstraction from what you're used to. One of the things that, that I think we found in our place and very much I think is an interesting point, I'm not sure it's a benefit, is that naturally in 18xx where you add an extra company into the mix and you and you expand your uh, empire you naturally increase the amount of actions you take because in that you're acting as a company rather than as an individual and as you rightly said earlier this flips that so you act as an individual so by getting a second company which doesn't mean you can take more actions in the game actually it means you've got to stretch those very very few actions and you've only got 16 in the whole game you've got to stretch them further you've got to be making those two companies work for each other yeah and it's not just few actions it's it's, it's unreliable actions right this serpentine draft i'm going to come out with it right now i hate it 
absolutely right now my first impression of it is i do not like it and i appreciate some of the actions are duplicated so you it's quite hard to get blocked on doing an activity entirely but there are some qualitatively different ones like there's only one by two train carts yeah there's only one lay yellow rail and upgrade or something else or lay two yellow if you get blocked on the one you want it's kind of one sixteenth of your game utterly hosed yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think the the potential for you know spike drafting your cards is massive. I don't think it's ever going to be massively to the advantage of the player doing it, but it's very destructive to the player on the receiving end of it's it. It's worse because it's like I say it's worse because it's inadvertent. Yeah. It's left right player binding. Oh, I think I'm going to get this thing. I think I'm going to get this thing. I didn't get the thing. I can accept that in Sagrada because it lasts half an hour. Right. Yeah, and, and and that was one of the points I was kind of going to bring up. So so we were saying, you know, it says on the box two hours. I think even with four experienced players, you you know, you're looking at pushing that time. I think it's it's not quick because I think you're caught in that real kind of what am I doing? I've got such a small subset of choices. I can't set up a grand strategy that I normally would do. How am I going to try and make this work? In effect, well, sure, but here's the thing, right? I found with a group of under-invested players, for want of a better term, we did run pretty quickly. We had the opposite problem. It was because no one cared. So so may, maybe my experiences were tainted. I know that some of the guys I played with were, were a little bit uh, AP-prone and, and added a little bit more to the game. So maybe maybe that is a slightly unfair criticism on my part. And let's be fair, full disclosure here, right? My experience was definitely tainted by the fact that we had someone at the table who wasn't fully invested by their own admission. There was no, they worked out about halfway in that they weren't enjoying it and it was hard for them to pull that back. And then they just sit there and, and kind of make it hard for everyone else to, to enjoy the rest of the yeah, experience. Yeah, but not, not through not malice. Intentionally. Not, not through, just not through malice, but it's just a product of having yeah. someone at the table who isn't enjoying the game, right? We're all emotional sponges. It's how we've designed to work in a society. And hopefully, if you're a normal human being, you've got empathy. And if you don't have empathy, you won't notice someone having a terrible time. But if you do, like the majority of the population, then you're going to notice that person have a terrible time. Yeah, and you want people to have fun when they're playing games. That's the whole point of it, isn't it? It's a leisure activity. We all want to enjoy it. So we've, we've talked about action selections there. I was well, just... can, can I cycle back? No, can I cycle back? So I, I think action selection is like the key thing here, right? So I know Dave wants to move on to other bits. The reason I want to labour on this is I think the reasoning for this action selection now, I could be putting words into Lonnie's mouth here, and I apologise. But I think part of the thing that we talk about in 18xx in the learning video, Dave, is the hard thing for Euro players is that separation between actor and role. And running multiple companies is a hard thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're so used I'm... to being one person doing one thing in a Euro. Mm. Here, you're one person with many different things that you may or may not be invested in. In 18xx, you're wearing many hats. With this, you're wearing one hat, and it's kind of got to work for both companies. You've only got two actions, whatever happens, as you said. That's one element that I think might make this more accessible to a Euro player. Uh, at what cost, we'll come back to in the closing thoughts. The other thing I think this action selection thing provides that's positive for a new player, perhaps, and remember, it's hard for me to put myself in those shoes, is it takes away the tyranny of a blank page, right? In 18xx, a normal 18xx game, conventional 18xx game, you, you decide what that is to you. It's like 1830, 1846, whatever. You can do whatever you want on a turn as long as you work inside the procedure. There's no player, player, meddling, bar, reshaping the map and things that happen in a stock round. I can't stop you on your turn, Dave, doing a thing. Yeah, ultimately, ultimate, you kind of have control of your strategy and destiny within the framework that is, is provided to you by the game. Whereas here, as you, as you say, you have that challenge that maybe that isn't the case. Well, it's a challenge, but on the flip side, if I'm a new player and I've got no idea what I need to do, it might be quite warming to look at a selection of five cards and go, 
I can only do one of those, which is the best one. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I kind of came into this uh, before my first play thinking what I'd read about it and what I'd seen from a brief look at it as I, as I kind of just opened the box up when it turned up that um, that it was possibly going to be more on the introductory end. And I think it has elements of that. I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation, right? I was chatting about this to someone else online and they were saying, you've come in with expectations. And do I think that's true? Yes. But they're the same expectations that were actually listed on the Kickstarter campaign. Specifically... This, 18 Lilliput, is a short game which can be enjoyed in between other train games. It was a good way to start the round of a nice evening of train gaming. For players without any 18xx experience, here's the expectation setting, 18 Lilliput is an ideal way to learn many of the mechanisms from the world of railway games. I kind of can't argue with that. It, it, as we said, it teaches you some of those things in a more constrained fashion than you get in its, its bigger brother. I think it does, as you said, carry the weight by having that association with 18xx, by demonstrating the same things, albeit some of it is abstracted. Then then that sets an expectation, and I suspect a large majority of the Kickstarter backers uh, and, and purchasers over recent weeks are 18xx fans and players hopefully listens to this show as well and i think that comes with a with an expectation for us well, to as be, a community to be clear i'm not married to this position right now okay it's a reflection of my feeling of having played it last night and the group i played it with so my thoughts and feelings could change as time goes on but i would disagree with one statement one word in that statement specifically the adjective i'm not sure is is an ideal way to teach people 18xx i found it hugely frustrating and even the players who we were playing with last night who were 18xx adjacent, and by that I mean not hardcore, maybe played one ages ago and in kind of enjoyed it but have forgotten how to play, even they said this this interface is frustrating. I'd rather just play 1846. Yeah, and i I, I got to be honest, as I say, that, that changed to me. You know, as I said, I came into it with the expectation it might be a good way of getting people into it. I come away from it going, mm, not sure, not sure. I'd, again, given the playtime, if it's in that sort of two-hour bracket, why wouldn't I break out a, a, a Steam Over Holland in 1879? Yep, you beat me to it. I was just going to say, why wouldn't I... Deploy the extra forty-six. Half, why wouldn't I deploy the extra half hour and play Steam? E- even an extra two hours if it came to it. I think you'd have a much richer experience, and you teach the player that you're trying to get into the genre much more. I think there's there's a couple of people who said you know sometimes you find the eighteen xx that suits the player's theme rather than taking them on a gentle ride through something like forty-six. If somebody's going to be invested because it's in GB, then you play. That's JC twenty-two. Lawrence. That's JC Lawrence's quote that um, it's on his I'm office. I'm glad blog, you remembered actually. who it was. I, yeah. I was struggling to remember it. Yeah. You... it's the quote of his blog that um, the investment, personal investment, can take you a long way. So don't yeah. worry about being the right. And, and I've always thought that for, certainly for Euros, not necessarily for eighteen XX, although I can see some logic in it. But I don't know if Lilliput's going to have that impact and that effect really. Ultimately, well, well let's move on to Tile Lane. So yes, so we touched briefly on the checkerboard effect there, really. I found out a product of making things hugely restrictive in the sense that in our game, I don't know if yours was the same, in our game, the board was locked functionally by the odd upgrade by turn five. Five or six, I think. I think it was very interesting. It ends up, it looks when you first put it out as though you're going to build a really big map and stretch these, these um, well, they're, they're power grid power plant size cards maybe it, a little bit bigger no, even no 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 dave 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 they're a little bit smaller so you have to oh. order swan pan asia sleeves if only they were five millimeters bigger and then you could just use sleeves you get on your board game oh, shop okay instead i have to get them from germany excellent well thank you for ordering me a copy as well um uh, but anyway yeah the, you think when you look at it and start putting it on the board you think oh these are going to take up a load of table real estate and actually you end up noodling the board around and kind of you end up with quite a small con- compacted thing i think stations fill up pretty quickly yep 
Um, That's because each city maxes out at two station doubles, right? And and again, because of that checkerboard rule, you all start going off in different directions from the centre. You've either got to get in and, and kind of interact with somebody pretty quickly, and then as soon as you open up that interactivity, you've got to put a station down to protect your interests, yep. or you're just branching off and doing your own thing. And maybe maybe later in the game you're you're, you're adding a second company to it. We'll, we'll touch on company ownership in a minute. But well, let's um, talk about how that second company comes in because actually. It's one of the things that I find very frustrating because unless a design has been, hmm, unless a design's a certain shape, I don't like this feature. Pop-up stations. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree. So I, I was going to say, should we, should we just roll back and explain about the companies a little bit first? So, in terms of, there are eight companies in the four-player game. I think there's less in in the um, uh, in the varying number of players. Ultimately, you are capped to owning two companies. You can only have two. And your share limit is five across the game. The president shares are fifty percent. Bonkers. So, so by the time, and, and let's not forget, twenty percent has magically disappeared somewhere along the lines. Bonkers. Um, but, <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, you, you, it, it's set up so each player is going to get two companies. Uh, it really becomes a question of when do you want to start your second company. But when you do choose to start it, as you say, you've got this this magical station appears from nowhere cutting the board in half and suddenly frustrating everybody for all the wrong reasons yeah and i think when when i played it you know uh, we found that uh, oh here's that tile upgrade in that case in the next share round i'm going to start a company and block that route off that had just opened up for everybody yeah now interestingly when we when i played three three of the four players uh, or the other three players opened their companies maybe round three round four of the game and kind of worked hard with them i sat on mine till six i still think i opened it too early with hindsight I think there's some opportunities to do a bit of pseudo briefcasing. So companies in, in Lilliput do not need to own a train, um, so they don't have to have a route. But obviously, once you've set them up, if they don't own a train, their share value is going to drop. And you've got 50% of that, and you're locked into that 50%. <laughs> but not that massively. No. In, in sense, the rate of deterioration isn't that quick. And that's why I think you start it late, because you you know you take a small hit on the shares, but the capital you put into the company by starting it late means that you can buy trains. And so what I did with mine, when I opened up the um, the second company around six, uh, I used the nice amount of, uh, of capital I put into it to buy two trains, leaving one permanent train in it and giving another train across to my other company, which then had two permanent trains. So my other company, which had been the starting one, had the established routes, was able to run two trains and was, was far outperforming anything. And at that point, it was one of those where I wish the stock market did valuation jumps rather than just movement yeah. because you dividend. Well, let's talk stocks and stock market. I think, that's a good, I think that's a good idea. Let's talk about the stock structure for starters. So as you said, the president's certificate's 50% and then there's three 10% ones left around. I personally think your, your share limit is five. five shares. And I think... Five certs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're quite right. Five certs. Apologies, I always get the terminology mixed there. I think the issue functionally is that it discourages cross-investment. There's almost... The, the 10% shares make very little difference. Because uh, Remember, every time I buy a share, it's an action I've hosed. So why do I hose the action buying a 10% share of your thing when I could try and develop the value in my company. Yeah, you can own the 80% of your company if you want. I think... So no, no, well, no, well, no, no, I don't mean like that. Though. I mean, even the 50% share is the King Daddy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Until I've got literally nothing else to do, I'm better off engineering and driving up my value because a single 50% payout, driving that up is better than taking 10% of yours. So, so I did in mine, again, I, I put some early share investment in in other player stuff. And um, 
then when I went to start my second company late in the game, I did use the sell other players shares thing to, to make sure I could maximise the value I parted I, at. I, I think we had a similar approach, Dave, actually. We, I did something. I bought a couple of shares early on. They paid out peanuts. And then I sold them down. It was just by making my money work for me whilst I yeah. wasn't using you, you it. You want a little bit of capital in your pocket, but ultimately you just use it as an investment vehicle to set up the thing it you want later really on. It just really feels like minor edges as opposed to you could like do something clever with the railway structure and just keep hammering that lay rails action, make your company have lots of options for routing, drive up value that way. And that, that 50% cert encourages that. And the fact that you can't drop a company, that's the other thing. Yeah. You cannot sell that 50% share. So once you start a company, you are wed to it. You've got to be pretty sure it's going to do something for you. you Otherwise, it's just going to sit there not taking value. So I think there is a play. As I say, I didn't do it. It occurred to me after I'd started mine up. But I think there is a play to say you start it late and just use it as a vehicle. Sure, I get that. I think just talking to the tributes and what I think it lends the design for one of a better term. I'm... (laughs) I understand why we the shares are simplified, right? I understand why you make it 50% owner's share for easy math. I understand why you make it so you can't move presidencies because that makes it easier to ingest if you've never played 18xx before. But to a certain extent, for me, that sucks the soul out of the game, right? If by trying to make a game more accessible, you take the best bits out, what am I left with? Yeah. Yeah, no, because again, root building is is abstracted. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's definitely... An odd thing, and, and and just the other thing we didn't really talk about there was the the stock market. So it is. Oh yeah, if, when you sell two D to some extent, ish. It's yeah. kind, it's called like a modified one D. Yeah, one point five D maybe. Yeah, where if you sell a share, it kind of takes a value hit every other certificate you sell. Ish. It's not even as simple as every time I sell, I lose a value because it walks back up and then gets at the higher value again. It's all. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, you're not going to be able to do the classic sell down. You, you can't devalue somebody else's company if you. And well, again, you can, if, but if, not massively. Well, at the most, you've only ever got three shares to sell. Exactly. So, so again, another kind of. Uh, don't get me wrong. Again, I understand why. Yeah, you couldn't have put 100 percent in the game because there would be more certificates than players could ever get anywhere near purchasing. Sure. So now, again, understand why. Understand what's trying to achieve. Just doesn't excite me. So I guess we've talked stations, track, actions, running trains, all of that stuff is familiar. Run trains is the same thing. There are some, some good... To- oh, we haven't talked characters. We touched on it briefly, but but we should maybe talk about those well, Let's talk about bit. characters and let's talk about running trains. Let's talk about running trains first, if that's okay. Running trains, I like what they've done here, Dave, actually. I, in a perverse kind of way, if it wasn't for the fact that the last thing a company does in a normal 18xx game is buy trains, almost wish every game ran like it. All the companies operate their trains in sequence, right? So you run from highest value to lowest value, and we calculate routes, and we spend a whole phase of route calculation and paying out dividends. I like this because it reduces context shifting, and it means the players that are more experienced can help with route calculation and all those things without being distracted from taking their turns. Yeah, and I think there is an interesting thing as well around withholding and and the, the extra action it gives you. So um, when you withhold, you can buy a train from the the train pool, which is a little bit like a bank pool thing at the at the start of every round, and it's a trait that that, that happens in CZ and in 1880, I think. So very design familiar that a train gets moved off of the top of the train stack, and in the train pool, you buy it. You either buy it, you have to buy it when you open a new company up, but also if you withhold you can buy a train from the train pool you can't buy a brand new train at that time that's an interesting feature that might have lent it a bit more venom it's no one, it's, it's no quite one interesting it. no no we did do it a little bit uh, and it was entirely possible that by withholding and buying the trains out of the train pool 
you limit the number of companies that can form later in the game. So we had a situation where three players wanted to form companies, but only two trains in the train pool. So the third player was going, well, there's no point in me forming it, really. Again, I think that's possibly a short-sighted. You can form a company without a train, but... Okay, well, that's interesting. That probably would have made the experience slightly more interesting because one of my biggest gripes as mentioned in the action selection piece is the qualitative difference between some of the action cards now if you can insulate yourself against a uh, by train card not being present by just doing a withhold that's that's not that bad actually no i mean you the the, the fundamental thing is you still have to have the money to buy the train at that point the sure. train has to be in the train pool but uh, you could do it and and the other point to trains as well is that it has that kind of 1846 style obsolescence where trains have a slow rust after they hit that first point they become half, they run for the same distance but half the value they pay out and when a train mm. is in obsolescence you can donate it back to the train pool for free sure. it doesn't yeah. count against your train limit so you can't get train locked by an obsolete train yeah. and i did find that quite a lot of trains dropped back into there as people upgraded so so we found that as I was saying earlier, where players started their um, second company early, a lot of them were buying those obsolescent trains out just because it was their only option. As you say, when you when you start a company outside the start of the game, the only thing you can buy is a train from the train pool when it forms. That makes it quite interesting. I I, I found with the obsolete trains, they're intellectually interesting, but they're somewhat impractical because you found yourself with weird numbers for the difference. Yeah, yeah, and then and then your, your, your rounding and all that lot kind of just becomes a bit of a math challenge, which I know the game is a math challenge, but... Um, yeah, but it's the wrong sort of math challenge, Indeed. Right? It's a bit unnecessary for what the game's trying to achieve. I, I almost felt like it should, like, half the dividends... It's not half dividends, half the revenue round up to the nearest 10. Yeah, yeah, something that just makes the math simple. Again, if it's aiming to be a teaching game, you should make that... As simple and straightforward as possible so that you're not overburdening people. Yeah. Having the fanny around divvying out fives and working out how that was going to cost 80% worth of shares was just a bit of a pain. Indeed. Um, characters, you want to talk characters. Yes, I was going to go. So at the start of the game, as you said earlier, you you, you serpentine draft either a company, uh, and with companies come feature. with some different, yeah. different benefits, or a character. Uh, and the characters come again with some player benefits. The first thing they give each player is between one or two tiles that their player may lay for free in addition to their to their standard action. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't know what you found, but we found that everybody put those tiles out in the first turn because you can suddenly I had the guy who gave you two tiles. So suddenly uh, if I and I did manage to take the, the double yellow tile as well in the first round of the game, I got four tiles on the board. Suddenly I'd built Do you, do you mean the guy with the the, the, the dits? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he puts the little dit doing Mr. Ditz or whatever he's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm massively into Gulliver's Travels, so yeah. Mr. Ditz was just a massive part of my youth. Oh, Mr. Ditz has found a doink. It was a great, it's a great yeah. story. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, the only exception we found with that was the guy who selected the King of Lilliput or whatever, who took a while to build a city he could actually upgrade into the Green Palace. Oh, he's the one that had the green tile that was really, really good if he ran trains there and... Pretty mediocre if anyone else runs there as such, or any other trains. But this was easily blockable, right? As from yeah, it's a, sing, it's a single dick green that never no, a single city green that never upgrades. And like I say, it was interesting because I think he misplayed that, and we we talked about it afterwards. And he said you should put it down a lot earlier. So I agree with you. you you're gonna. I think. Well, we'll see. I mean, at the moment, my, my first impression is they're going to come out quite early for for new players. Yeah, the and I think the other the other thing each of these characters give you then is some kind of benefit, usually in a financial format, either to player or to company, which which helps the game economy flow along a little. Kind bit. of things you'd associate with privates in other games, right? Oh, like, very much so. Things like half price cities, or say half ten percent off train build. Yeah. 
pretty mundane, but it's strapped to a character, and as such, it's on every company or there was you the, operate. The guy that you discard and get ten times the round number at some point. So okay, the player, player that in our game sat on it till round, the last round. I sincerely apologise. I'm loading this undue negativity. The one I had was pretty mundane. There were some more interesting ones. Yeah, although again, I think they're all, all relative to the situation. But, but you've hit the nail on the head. They're absolutely privates in any way, shape or form, really, aren't they? So With, with, a, little, with a little hook, a little picture hook to help new players enjoy and interact with it, to Indeed. make it resonate. Indeed. But let's talk about resonance and art quickly. The, the, the production, I think the production was incredibly professional. I thought I enjoyed the quality of the thing. And if I was looking at it objectively in terms of te- the technical drawings and the sharpness of the art, bar the portraits, I thought it was pretty much top notch. Yeah, I think the portraits are a little bit cartoony, but I guess it's a fairy tale, a fancy tale. So you kind of expect that in some ways. But but yeah, the, the, looking at the uh, the track art, you've got double-sided tiles with one side is that, that railway track and the other side is the linear track that's more commonly associated with 18xx. I think from my point of view, when I first got into the game, I loved the fact they had proper railway-type track tiles. I thought that was amazing. These days, I now would always want the standard, you know, black line linear art. That That is so much more functional and serves such a better purpose. Um, those of you that follow us on Twitter will have seen that one of the players I was playing with, in an absolute abhorrent move, managed to mix the tiles, and, and it was just causing us all such pain that we gave him such grief around the table. Oh, I love an edge lord. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing I would say, Dave, as well, again, and I keep using that trope, is the art for the little the trains on the hand where Gulliver's bringing it in from across the ocean or whatever. That's cute. I think where it suffers for us, and your mileage may vary, is that I don't think either of us are into the Gulliver's Travels thing. No, it it, it was okay. It really just was some theme pasted on it. I, you know, it made resonance for other people. But going back to the point we were saying. I don't think anyone's going to pick it up and say, oh, I must play this because it's it's in Lilliput. It's set in the Gulliver universe. Therefore, I'll play the game because of that. If they do, they're in for possibly a nasty shock in some ways. It's a proper old pace job, but fair enough. You know, at least he's tried to do something different with it. And I think it needed something to, to for that hook for the, the characters, the privates. You know, how did you turn that into something else? To make them a character, you needed a setting and a theme. So... I can understand why it's there. Maybe not for us, but it's. I can. Maybe we're just crusty, miserable old men. Yeah, yeah. I would say middle aged, but that's only one of us, really, isn't it? No, don't, don't. I'm having the crisis already, Dave. <laughs> I've got a podcast, so I'm definitely having the crisis. So going back to it, just looking to round, I guess, just look at it in the round then. Do we think it has achieved what it's set out to do? Would you use this to introduce someone? to 18xx that's one of its objectives or do you think this is opener stroke closer for a day of train games so i think going into it i would have used it as a teaching mechanism having played it i'm much less likely to i think it'd have to be somebody who really wanted to play 18xx but didn't have a lot of time maybe that would be the answer but as we've already said there are other options that you can squeeze into very similar time brackets do I think it's something that a group of 18xx players could bust out when they're trying to fill two hours because they haven't got time to play a four-hour game? Possibly, yeah, probably. I think I think you could have some fun with it. Okay. Your opinions are your own. Absolutely. But I am going to grill you on them, so be prepared to defend them. Do you think that experienced 18xx players are going to find the type of frustration provided by an action selection draft positive or negative? I think ultimately negative. I think it may prove novel on the first playthrough. Certainly that was my view. 
but I, I, I can see it wearing thin after a while. Would, would you say on that? Would you agree? Do you disagree? I, I don't want the flame emails, Dave, so I'm going to keep seriously <laughs> silent. You're, no, you're just going to leave me out there, hang me out to he's dry. He's such a swine. He hates Lonnie. Hates him personally. <laughs> no. Um, seriously, I... Genuinely, it, I don't. Okay, I'd just like to clear that one out in case Lonnie I, is listening. I'm going to make myself a, a lightning rod here, right? I didn't like this on first play, but I can see that this, the, the, on first play... You had a you had a protesting player that's going to downgrade it by twenty percent for me in terms of enjoyment. A lot of the things I observed and I see as faults, I need to play. I say faults, faults in that then don't marry to my tastes. Not faults as in it makes the thing completely moribund. Um, the things that I don't enjoy, I'm going to tr- try and hit again, knowing what the game is out of the gate, and hopefully be proven wrong. So I, I think from my point of view, it's. I wanted to play it again afterwards because I felt it had been played suboptimally. I think I always view that every time I play a brand new 18xx. You know, I'm never going to play it brilliantly on the first playthrough. Some would argue I'm not going to play it brilliantly on a number of plays later. But um, but this one, you know, again, yeah, first playthrough, there was enough to make me want to go back again. Do I see it having a long shelf life? Do I see us breaking it out every time we get together? Possibly not. That's not a fair lens, Dave. We don't break out anyone every time we get together, right? 1817 is a growl game for you, and we haven't played it that often. So I don't. I don't <laughs> That's not for one of trying. Yeah, sure, sure. But I don't think it's fair to, to no, say no, it no, has no. to do that to have but, but, value. But, but in that in that price bracket, in that that uh, small, compact, portable size, then you start looking at the kind of thing you could take to games night every week. I don't think it's got that longevity to it. Okay. No, I think despite the fact it fits in a small box, there's a lot of faff for the setup. You need a biggish table. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of cards you take out because they're all expansion and variant. And actually, that's one of the things I do want to try. So there are some some variant rules. There are some preset uh, land builds that start. So I think there is some mileage. I think you know playing through some of those that will, will make this fix some of the deterministic track builds you were talking about. Which I think you know this this is why this is a first impressions post, right? Not a not a full review. We need to we need to unpack the solo mode, the various expansions, play it again, come into into it, knowing what it is after the first play. But I have to be fair in and in the sense that if I feel something, I'm going to share it. And I've played some pretty wretched 18xx games. Okay, I I love the genre, but I've played some that have done nothing for me. They shall remain unnamed. I know which ones you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, they shall remain unnamed for now. For now, um, because. This episode's about this game. I don't think I've felt quite as negatively about any one of those I have this. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Because primarily because the interface right now fills me with woe, not hunger. And I don't come to 18xx for interface woe. I come to 18xx for the kind of woe the enemies across the table can lay upon me with their fiery share purchases and their horrific track lay not yeah, none of those things i usually do. not all you want that tile you slapped it out of my hands into the sink it's now coated in water and no one can put it on the board there's there's a very different specific kind of frustration there no interesting i mean i think just to close out my thoughts i think it's a very interesting abstraction of 18xx uh, yeah i want i want to play it again um, and, and, and let's see how a couple of those other things go, really. I'm going to give a positive conclusion, okay? Like I'll try my best. What this game made me realise is that blending genres is hard, okay? And if it falls short of anything, it's not because it's a bad game. It's because it's trying... In, in an objective sense, it's because it's hard to blend things. 
I also it made me appreciate that, and one of my favourite games that is Tokyo Metro that blends genres, and that does it very very well to the point where it feels seamless, achieving seamless integrations between genres for want of a better term is tough. And I think maybe we're possibly looking at it with the wrong lens if we were going to be critical of ourselves. We're looking at it going, why is this not an 18xx to some extent? Why is it more Euro than 18xx? So it'd be interesting to see what how well it's received from the non-18xx playing community. You know, there may be some people out there who think it's really good and hopefully that kind of gets them interested in playing 18xx and, and maybe they'll come and discover a podcast about train games. Well, look, let's commit to not be a panda podcaster. Right? I'm not going to eat, shoot and leave. So... What I am doing this weekend, I'm going to um, a gathering where there are some non-18xx players. I'm committing to teaching this. And I'm not, um, it's already been asked to do, I'm not going to transmit any of my negativity across because I'm pretty good at doing demos. Thank you, Jordan, for the practice. Although your stuff's all great, I don't have to hide any negativity, honestly. The other thing is we're going to play it together with people that want to play it, right? With full buy-in and examine it that way. We might not do an episode on it. We may just do some follow-up on it via Twitter or the blog or whatever, or just or maybe on the Guild. Maybe it's an expansion on the Guild. Maybe you guys talk to us about it and tell us what we're not seeing. But this isn't, irrespective of this, you know, bad first impression, I'm definitely going to, you know, peel it back a bit. I think that, that's all you can ask is that, you know, we play it again. So, um, yeah, definitely, I think hearing other people's feedback would be great. Let us know on the Guild. Yeah, that's number 3342. Alternatively, talk to us on Facebook, which is The Train Rush. Maybe Twitter, Dave. Where are we on Twitter? Uh, we're at The Train Rush. Sure. Alternatively, if your communique is so violent and hostile uh, as having a negative opinion on 18 Lilliput, or more, me having a negative opinion on 18 Lilliput, I like that stuff our email. So you can do that, Craig at thetrainrush.com. Or Dave at thetrainrush.com. And finally, I think, oh, did we do Instagram? We do. And that's the only thing that annoys me more than the action selection mechanism, Dave. It's the underscore train underscore rush because we couldn't have it without underscores because Instagram sucks. Therefore, I suggest if you've got bad feedback about this episode, we, we you Instagram it to us and that will keep Craig extra happy. That'd be great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much.